0: This is Thurman Hayes, pastor of First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. We wanna welcome you to this message from our services at First Baptist. We're a congregation that is seeking to touch lives through the life-changing power of the gospel. I pray that you'll encounter Christ and his power and love even now as you listen. Amen. Well, next week we're going to begin a new series which I'll talk about at the end today. But I thought that today uh, being right at the beginning of a, of a new year, it would be good for us to think about a New Year's theme, to think about the, the theme of of newness that Christ brings into our lives. And there's a text in the second chapter of John that will help us do that today. Let's look at John chapter 2, and we're going to look at verses 1 through 12, which is about a taste of new wine. What is the new thing that God will do in your life, our life together this year? John 2, and let's look at verses 1 through 12, and I'll invite you to follow along in your copy of God's Word. On the third day, a wedding took place in Cana of Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding as well. When the wine ran out, Jesus' mother said to him, They don't have any wine. What has this concern of yours to do with me, woman? Jesus asked. My hour has not yet come. Do whatever he tells you, his mother told the servants. Now, six stone water jars had been set there for Jewish purification. Each contained 20 or 30 gallons. Fill the jars with water, Jesus told them. So they filled them to the brim. Then he said to them, now draw some out and take it to the head waiter. And they did. When the head waiter tasted the water after it had become wine, he did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. He called the groom and told him, everyone sets out the fine wine first Then, after people are drunk, the inferior. But you have kept the fine wine until now. Jesus did this, the first of his signs in Cana of Galilee. He revealed his glory, and his disciples believed in him. After this, he went down to Capernaum together with his mother and brothers and his disciples, and they stayed there only a few days." Father, as we approach this new year, we pray for you to do new things in our lives that may involve us leaving behind some old things, forgetting what lies behind and pressing forward to what lies ahead as a new year stretches out before us. And Lord, how we pray for your spirit to do a, a work in our lives this year. And for us to be cooperative with your moving in our lives. May it be a year of transformation. And it's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. Well, many of you no doubt got high-tech presence for for Christmas, whether, uh, you know, devices or tablets or phones or, you know, on and on and on. Something techie. I'm I'm guessing that a number of you probably um, got gifts like that. I I did not. I did not need any more uh, gadgets. I, I pretty much have them all, and I have a feeling that as frustrated as I get with them, if, if my gadgets, my high-tech gadgets had feelings, they'd be a whole lot more frustrated with me because I use them for certain things, but I tend to underutilize them. They are capable of so much more than what I know what to do with them. And I think the Gospel of John is kind of like that with a lot of believers. It's so quotable, and we, we memorize verses from it, and that's a great thing to do. And speaking of New Year's things, Scripture memorization is an awesome thing to do. Highly recommend that. But a lot of times with the Gospel of John, you know, it's so quotable, and we know you know famous verses from it. But there are layers and layers of depth a lot of times that we're we're not getting to. Someone once said that the Gospel of John is, is safe enough for a child to paddle in, and it's deep enough for an elephant to swim in. And that's definitely the case with this particular text that we're looking at today. Because there's something that's going on, On the surface, it's the first miracle that is recorded in the Gospel of John as Jesus transforms water into wine. And so on the surface, you've got this this miracle that's going on that's true, and it's there, but there's also something deeper. There's a deeper theme that John wants us to plug into here, and it's something that can help us as we look toward a a new year. So let's take a look at what's happening here, and we'll we'll draw some conclusions from it. First of all, uh, there's a crisis that is occurring in verses 1 through 5. Let me ask you just to follow along and. In your, in your Bibles. Not all of these verses are going to, to be on the, on the screen, so have that open Bible or your tablet or whatever you're using, and let's look at verses one and two together. It says, on the third day, a wedding took place in Cana of Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding as well. So, first century Jewish weddings were an event event. (laughs) And uh, weddings today are big events too, but in first century Jewish life, it was not just a one-day event. Like, it was a community-wide event that would stretch on over the course of several days, like a a week. And, uh, you know, the whole community was a, a part of that This particular wedding takes place in Cana in Galilee, which is not far from where Jesus was was raised in Nazareth, and also not far from Capernaum, which is where he he was based during his earthly ministry with his uh, disciples. And so, evidently, this is a family that Jesus' family knew, uh, they, they were, you know, these are small little towns up in, in Galilee in the first century. And so people, they, people knew one another. And so weddings were just like this huge uh, community-wide event. So Mary has been invited and Jesus and his disciples as well. They're all there at this a celebration. But then there is a crisis which occurs and we see it in verse 3. When the wine ran out, Jesus' mother told him, they don't have any wine. Now, for us to run out of something, you know, at a, at a party, is, I mean, it's not something that we want to, to happen, obviously. But for this family to run out of wine at a, a Jewish wedding celebration, well, that would have been an incredibly humiliating thing to happen. Like, it would have been so humiliating that this young couple would have been talked about for the rest of their lives. I mean, people would have just looked back and said, oh yeah, you know, that's the couple where, you know, their, their family uh, ran out of, of wine. I mean, it, it was like this huge social faux pas. It, was, it, was, it, it would have brought disgrace and humiliation on this family. And so, it's not just kind of you know, a minor annoyance that they've run out of wine. It's a major crisis. And so Mary, interestingly, what does she do? She, she approaches Jesus. Evidently, Mary's helping out this family with the wedding celebration. And she approaches her son. And she says, they've, they've run out. They don't have any wine. Now, the fact that she does that, the fact that she approaches Jesus with this problem ought to tell us something. Let's look at a couple of passages toward the end of John. First of all, turn to John 20. Turn your Bibles to the 20th chapter of John, and let's look at verse 30. The Gospel of John revolves around seven, seven miracles or signs. This is the first one that we're looking at today. But, but what does John tell us in chapter 20 and verse 30? It says Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples that are not written in this book. There were a lot more miracles that were not recorded. And then look at the last verse of the Gospel of John in chapter 21. Chapter 21 and verse 25. This is how the Gospel of John ends. I love this. And there are also many other things that Jesus did, which if every one of them were written down, I suppose not even the world itself could contain the books that would be written. So, there's a reason why Mary approaches Jesus. About this had he already performed miracles probably so in any case Mary knew That Jesus was the one to go to She'd known that before he was even born right we just saw In 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 Luke when we were in our Christmas series where the angel Gabriel comes to her and and she has already been made aware even before he's born of of his special identity and his divine identity and power. And so, there's a crisis, she goes to Jesus. There's a problem, she goes to Jesus. Good advice for you and me. Take it to Jesus. How does he respond? Verse four, What has this concern of yours to do with me, woman, Jesus asked. My hour has not yet come. So in the Gospel of John, when Jesus talks about his hour, it tends to refer to the hour. the, The hour of his passion. The hour of his Cross the hour of his resurrection, which will be the ultimate display of his supernatural power. Jesus says, "My hour has not yet come." He seems to be saying, "I I hadn't planned on this being a day of a a display of, of supernatural power." He was there to be a part of the wedding and the celebration and. And, 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 and hadn't planned on this being a display of supernatural power. But he was open to that, as we'll see. You know, we've got plans for our 2022. There are things in all of our minds, as we, we look forward to this year, that we've kind of got in our minds that are a part of our plans but there are things that are going to happen in our lives this year that we have not planned. How are we going to deal with that? When stuff happens that was not a part of our plan, how, how are we going to handle that? Are we going to look at that just merely from a human perspective and, and, you know, and, and lament that and, uh, and, 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 and resent that? Or... When stuff happens in our lives that we've not planned, will we look at it from the perspective of faith and say, God, this wasn't a part of my plan, but yet you've allowed it, for, and I know you're sovereign, and I know that I'm your child, and I know that you love me, and I know that you're causing all things to work together for my good and for your glory, and so how can you use this thing that I have not planned how can it be used to glorify you? See, that's the way Jesus lived. And that's where this story is, is going to go. Verse, verse five, Mary says, do whatever, do whatever he tells you. <laughs> now again, there's a sense of surrender in Mary. We saw this in the Christmas story, right? What, how, does, how does Mary react after Gabriel tells her that she's going to, she's going to bear the Son of God? She says, I'm the servant of the Lord. Let it be according to your will. And we see kind of that same sense of surrender in Mary here in verse five. She just says, do whatever he tells you, right? Mary surrendered. Again, good posture as we approach a new year. Putting our yes on the table before the Lord for whatever, whenever, wherever, Lord, my yes is on the table. I'm surrendered to you. That's, that's Mary's spiritual posture. And we see the crisis in verses one through five. In verses six through and following, we see the Celebration. It was a celebration, verse six. Now, six stone water jars had been set there for Jewish purification. Each contained 20 or 30 gallons. This water was there for for ceremonial purity, and we'll talk more about the meaning of that in in just a moment. Verse seven. Jesus says, fill the jars with water so they filled them to the brim. Ah, Now this is one of those times in John, and it's constantly happening in the Gospel of John, where you've got two things going on, right? You've got something on the surface, and you've got something going on here on the surface. They, they literally filled them up to the brim, but there's something else happening. And that is because one of the themes in John it's fullness. The fullness of Christ. Um, look back at, um, at chapter 1 of John and verse 16. It, 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 says, it says of Christ there, indeed, we have all received grace upon grace from his fullness. From his fullness, we have received grace upon grace. And, and later in this gospel, in chapter 10 and verse 10, Jesus says, I have come that you might have a life and have it to the full. So Jesus says, fill them up. Fill them to the brim. Verses eight through 10. Then he said to them, now draw some out and take it to the head waiter. And they did. When the head waiter tasted the water after it had become wine, he did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. He called the groom and told him, everyone sets out the fine wine first. Then after people are drunk, the inferior. But you have kept the fine wine until now. So, when are our taste buds most sensitive? Whether it's food, drink, whatever. It's the first bite. It's the first sip. I love ice cream. Always better, the first, the first bite, right? The first lick. After that, your tongue's getting more numb. <laughs> taste buds are not as sensitive, right? It's, It's really like that with with anything, right? Um, And and so what typically they would do at these long parties is that they would serve the very best first. The very best wine would be served first because people's taste buds had not been desensitized at that point. And then later on, they would would bring out cheaper stuff. Now, by by the way here, it refers to people being drunk. Understand that these are first century Jews. Their definition of drunk is nothing like the definition of drunk in our culture. Definition of drunk in our culture is people out of control, doing stupid things, saying stupid things, you know, uh, that kind of of thing. Uh, That kind of behavior was absolutely looked down upon in, in first century Jewish life. It was, just, it was just not a thing, right? So don't, don't get that picture in your mind. Uh, that kind of drunkenness is condemned both the Old Testament and the, the New. But what was happening here was that, you know, the, the party had been going on, right? People had been into uh, the, the, the flow of this, and so they would, that the typical custom was that you served the best first when people were paying the most attention. But, but, but now, after this transformation, the head waiter is marveling at the groom and he's saying, what? You have saved the best, the finest, until now. And so, what could have been this moment of ultimate humiliation for this family becomes this moment of, of celebration for them. Verse 11 Jesus did this, the first of his signs in Cana of Galilee, he revealed his glory. And his disciples believed in him. Now in John, miracles are referred to as signs. Why? Because the miracles point beyond themselves. They point to who Jesus is. And they point to his glory. The sign pointed to his glory. Let's ask the question, how Is the glory of Christ displayed in this miracle? How does this miracle display the glory of Christ? First of all, the glory of his compassion. The glory of his compassion. Most of the miracles in the gospels begin as acts of compassion. It's Jesus seeing a need, a human need, and meeting it in love. And so it is here. In Matthew 9, 36, the Bible says that when he saw the crowds, he felt compassion for them because they were distressed and dejected like sheep without a shepherd. Jesus saw people. When he saw the crowds, he felt compassion for them. You know, often we can look at hurting people. We can, we can look without seeing I mean, we're surrounded by people every day with all kinds of needs, all kinds of hurts, all kinds of problems, and we can be around them and we can look but not really see. May we make it our prayer this year that by the power of the Holy Spirit we would be able to see with new eyes. God, give us the grace to see people the way that you see them. and to move toward people with love and compassion, as our Lord did. We see the glory of his compassion. Second, we we see the glory of his cleansing. The glory of his cleansing. Uh, Now look back at verse six again. You've got these stone water jars there. They're there for Jewish purification. And so, in first century Jewish life, the washing, the washing of hands, the washing of utensils and things like that was not just a matter of hygiene like it is for us. It, it was a matter of ceremonial purity. But see, Jesus is going to come along and he's going to say, we need a deeper purity. Like we need a deeper purity cleansing than the surface. Luke 11 and verses 37 through 39 says, As he was speaking, a Pharisee asked him to dine with him. So he went in and reclined at the table. When the Pharisee saw this, he was amazed that he did not first perform the ritual washing before dinner. But the Lord said to him, Now you Pharisees, clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside you're full of greed and evil. Again, in in Matthew 23, 25, and 26, Jesus says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. You clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee. First clean the inside of the cup so that the outside of it may also become clean. Jesus is talking about a deeper cleansing. Now how does that happen? That's transformation, right? That's the third thing we see here is the glory of this transformation. This miracle is about transformation, water to wine, one thing becoming another, transformation. That's what Jesus does in our lives. He brings transformation. We're at the beginning of a new year. He makes all things new. 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away and see the new has come. Romans 6 and verse 4, therefore we were buried with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too may walk in newness of life. So look, we can, we can make some resolutions and set some goals and things like that for the new year, and there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. But what we really need is something deeper. <laughs> what we really need is, is, is a transformation, not just kind of a, a, a reformation that's going to affect the outside, but a transformation from the inside out. That's not something we can do. That's something that's gotta come from the supernatural power of God. It's gotta be worked by his spirit. Here's the good news, that can happen. Ezekiel 36 and verses 26 and 27, God says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will remove your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I will place my spirit within you and cause you to follow my statutes and carefully observe my ordinances. You see, the Holy Spirit can change our want-tos, can change our affections, changes our heart. Now, this is a process Sanctification is a process. But we are not passive in that process. It can only happen by the power of the Holy Spirit, but at the same time, we are not passive in that. We're called to be very active in that. Even after regeneration, happens in our lives, and we're born again. God's given us a new heart. Have you noticed in your life that there are lots of things that you need to unlearn? (laughs) I've learned that in mine. Even after we're new in Christ, right? We've been given a new heart, but yet there's still indwelling sin, there's still patterns and things from the old life, right? There's this deeply ingrained sin nature that we're all dealing with. And there's some deeply ingrained patterns and ways of thinking and living that have to be unlearned by the grace of God and by the power of his spirit, Paul talks about this in, in Romans 12 and verse 2 when he says, Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. So, transformation is related to our thinking, our minds. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Now, how does that happen? There's no magic bullet. It's the ancient means of grace that God has provided through the centuries. His word, certainly. Right? May this be a year for us of going deeper into the word of God. I encourage you in your own life to, to get a track to run on when it comes to scripture. And it may be a plan that you make up or it may be a plan that's made up for you. If you go to the UVersion app, there are all kinds of Bible reading plans, but I'm just saying, a plan is really helpful. You know why? Because if you aim at nothing, you'll hit it every time. So get a plan that's gonna help you to get deeper into God's word, but listen, we need more than God's word on our own. We need God's word with others, right? And that means a Sunday school class, a Bible study, where we are with brothers or sisters in Christ who are are helping us and we're, we're reading the Bible together, we're studying together, we're helping one another grow we need small groups like that. We need large groups like this where we're, we're studying the Bible together with expositional preaching, right? We need Bible intake in lots of different formats. The transformation, the renewing of our minds happens through, through the word of God. So God uses his word, he uses prayer, We tend to be so weak in prayer as American believers. What if you could look back a year from now and you could honestly say, I I really grew, my prayer life grew in 2022. I'm I'm walking more closely with God in prayer than I was a year ago. What a beautiful thing that would be. God uses prayer to transform us by the renewing of our minds and he uses people. He uses people. There, there is a dimension of growth. We're so individualistic in our culture and sometimes it carries over into the life of the church where it's just kind of all about just sort of, you know, me and the Lord, me and my Bible, off on my own. But when you read the New Testament, it's not what you see. You see that people are transformed as a part of a community of believers, a local body of believers. It's one of the reasons why this the past couple of years has just been so incredibly, uh, you know, challenges, because it's tended to get people isolated, separated from one another in in proximity, like there is just a part of the Christian life, there's a part of Christian growth that only happens when you are around people, like physically around people. We need one another, God uses people, and when you're around people, then what, what, can, what can spin off of that? Right, discipleship. We see people that we can help grow. There are people that can help us grow. There are people there with needs that we can love and serve and begin to use the spiritual gifts that God has has given us like to build up the body of of Christ. We get around brothers and sisters in Christ and we see that our problems are not unique. Other people are struggling too, it's not just us. We, We get around other people that can help us grow and take us to another level. We get around people that need to grow and we can help lift them up. we get around people who need Christ, and we get to love them and share the gospel with them. So part of our transformation happens through relationships with other people. God's word, prayer, other people these are means of grace. They're, they're means of, of transformation and growth that God is God has, it, they're there. But here's 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 where this the active part comes in. You've got to put yourself in the path of that. Right? Imagine walking through, walking through the the, the the woods and you know, you're parched with thirst, and you come across just a beautiful waterfall, just cascading, right? and you're thirsty, and you're hot. <laughs> and you, you need that refreshment, right? But you gotta put yourself beneath that. May this year be a year when you, you put yourself beneath God's cascading blessings that come from his spirit. And may this be a year of experiencing the cascade of his blessings like never before. Let's pray. Father, we, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you were at work in our lives. And Lord, how we pray for this coming year as we commit ourselves to you afresh and anew. Lord, we want you to use us this year. We want to emerge from this year loving you more. Loving others more. Lord, would you work in our lives this year by the power of your spirit for your glory's sake. And it's in the name of Jesus that we pray. I hope you've been blessed by this message. Christ is the answer for every need, now and for all eternity.